Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Today is December 6th, um, which is actually August 6th. Yeah, okay. August 6th? I'm six months off somewhere. No, August 6th, uh, this is the 23rd anniversary of Calvary Chapel's starting date. We started 2000. Move that away. We started around 2000, and uh, so happy birthday to Calvary Chapel here. All right. For those, I think Chris is the only one that was here at that point. So, yay. <laughs> All right, well, turn with me to Psalms chapter 28. This is uh, what we're going to focus on today. Uh, Psalms 28 is kind of a personal lament of of David. Uh, Some have tried to tie it back to the rebellion of Absalom, and we're not totally sure there's not some real clear evidence on that, but uh, there's a couple texts that we'll look at that may lead to that. Um, it can be broke down into like three little sections. The first five verses are kind of an appeal for deliverance. Uh, six through seven is, is this transition to a gratitude and praise. And then finally, he closes with intercession um, for the kingdom uh, to, to be led by God. So let's just get into it. Psalms chapter 28, verse 1. And a psalm of David, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Interesting, John uh, 1.1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis tells us that God spoke. He was, the spirit was moving over the waters and he spoke and creation began. Um, And without that word spoken, nothing would be. And I think that's really important that David says, don't be deaf to me. Speak into my life. Speak life into me. And that needs to be your desire that we don't have silence because what remains when there's silence from God is nothing the same chaos from the beginning the same disorder in our life the same you know just nothingness and that's death and that's where we go when we don't hear the word of God so he starts out Lord don't be deaf to me if you're silent I become like those who go down to the pit. 1 Corinthians says that we can't lay a foundation other than the one that's laid, which is Christ. And he is that rock that needs to be our foundation that we cry out to. Verse 2, he says, Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to thee for help. When I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. David's prayer starts with this call. And then it moves into a cry, a desperation. And when you are seeking the Lord, that's where you need to be. And that's where David was. He was like desperate because he realized without that 
hope in his life. Interesting, there's a posture that he presents of lifting up his hands towards the holy sanctuary. There's a direction and a posture. Daniel 6, we have the same direction where Daniel prays towards the temple. It was the the location of the presence of God. And, and now we know that the presence of God dwells among us. We don't have to go to the Holy Land. We don't have to go to the temple. You know, there was a point where uh, the the uh, one of the guys came um, and said, Hey, can I take a, a bucket of dirt to go home before I leave the, the, the land of Israel? And they're like, Yeah, yeah, go ahead and take dirt. Because there was something about the location where God understood. And so when they left to another land, they said, I want to take just a piece of the location with me, the presence of God with me. Because when I'm in another land, I'm under another, there's there's other deities and other things that are ruling, and I want to be ruled by you, and I want to be in your presence. And so for David, he says, I want that. And so I'm looking to the sanctuary. Timothy says that he wants all men to pray with lifted hands. Or Paul says that to Timothy. And, and there's a posture of, of I am participating in the work of God. And, and that's the idea of lifted hands. That as we continue to live and do work and do whatever you do, you're participating in the work of God happening in this world. There's a problem. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short so that it can't save, nor is his ear so dull that it can't hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And that's a reality. When there's sin in your life, it separates you. We need to be conscious of that and confessing that. It hinders our prayer. You know, there was there's a, one occasion where God, uh, Paul says, "Listen, you are need to take care of each other as husband and wife, but only you go away." And you you withhold each other for the purpose of prayer, right? What's the point? So that you don't sin. You need to separate sometimes just to seek God first. Hebrews says, let's draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Where do we draw near? First and foremost, so often we try to draw near to each other first. And we seek for somebody else to be that that strength and that security for us. But we need to draw near to God above everything else. That's the need. The other thing I want you to remember is that God sometimes delays his answer. And there's a purpose to it. His delays are not God's denials. 
just because he doesn't answer immediately when you pray doesn't mean he's not denying you and doesn't mean that he's not hearing you. Sometimes God tests our faith and allows us to endure for a period. You know, Deuteronomy says you should remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you that he might humble you. What was the purpose of them going through the desert before they entered the promised land? To let them understand that they need to follow him and be just in submission to him. There is a time when God allows us to go through a dry period in your spiritual life to mature you, to grow you up in faith. Hebrews says it's for discipline that you endure. God deals with us, with you, as with a son. Verse 11 of 12 says all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Right? You're not excited as a child when your parent is disciplining you, ever. Now when you grow up, you realize that, that, that there was some purpose to that. <laughs> But at the time, it's not fun. He says, for a moment it seemed not joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, that that have endured and learned from the discipline, they've been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's what he's calling us to, is peace. And, and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We have to have that willingness to endure for a purpose. You know, when, when you're training, when you're, you know, when I was playing football, it wasn't fun to uh, do the two-a-days and practice, you know, eight hours a day and discipline yourself over and over and over. It was grueling and miserable. But it was really fun when we won the games. (laughs) Right? I mean, so it had a purpose. It's the same with our discipline with God. Sometimes he allows us to go through really hard times, really challenging situations, because he's building us to have peaceful fruit later. He's preparing us to be righteous and to endure and to bring others along beside us in the same in in the same growth. So David says, don't drag me away with the wicked, with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. You know, Sometimes we think we have that peace and we're distracted. Here he says, I don't want to be like those people that are faking it. I want to be real with my faith. Don't get me distracted. Don't allow me to be distracted. Matthew Henry pulls out three aspects of this prayer. One, save me from being infected with or by their sin, as well as doing as they do. 
so often in our lives, we are around the world. And there's all kinds of sin in the world. He says, if you, if I told you to not be in the world, you'd have to leave the world to, to not deal with this, right? I, I didn't tell you to leave the world. I told you to not love the world, right? That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants to be in the world, but not of it. We have to be separated and, and, and holy to him. So we need to be saved from being infected by the sins of the world. Second, he says, never leave me to myself to use such arts of deceit and treachery for my safety as they do for my ruin. David was in a situation, and and this is kind of where they're tying Absalom in. You know, he had a plan to just do his whole thing, and he was telling the, the country one thing, and God had already said, you're going to rule, your posterity is going to rule. And yet there was this rebellion happening. And so one of the challenges with that, especially when people are are trying to lie and deceive, is that we try to save ourselves in those stupid ways that everybody else is. And so we need to be very careful that we don't use the tools of the world to save us, but the tools of God. Because He is our salvation. It's not us who's going to save us. The third point he makes is save me from being involved in their doom. For I'm not with them. My heart isn't in the deception that they're in. And the reality is that everybody is a sinner. And we all are subject to that condemnation until we receive the grace of Christ. To David, it's like, I I don't want to be destroyed like everybody else. I believe that you are a God that forgives, that heals, that that saves. And that's his heart, and that should be your heart. God, save me from myself and for the destruction that I truly am making in my own life. Proverbs 10, 18 speaks to this verse saying, He who conceals hatred and has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. These are the guys that he's trying to be guarded against. He's like, in essence, save me from the foolish people. Romans 12 says, let love be without hypocrisy. We need to guard ourselves from that. We are to abhor what's evil and cling to what is good. Verse 4, he says, requite them according to their works and according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to their deeds of their hands and repay them their recompense. You know, so often we see evil in the world and, and we want 
offer grace, but we also, there's a place where we pray for condemnation. Timothy uh, 4.14, Paul does the same thing. He says, uh, he he proclaims the same judgment on Alexander the coppersmith, um, saying the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. There is a place where judgment will find you out if you continue in foolishness and evil. God will repay according to your deeds. So David prays that God's judgment on them be proportionate to the actions that they've done. Interesting, the King James uses the word endeavors as opposed to just their practices. Um, and and this implies that, that the judgment includes their attempts at evil, even. And, and the original word has that idea. It's a little broader than just, uh, than just uh, according to their evil, the evil of their practices. It's their attempts, even, to do evil. Judge them based on ultimately their heart where is their heart it is based in evil intent and that's what he's judging he is one who not just judges the deeds of men but judges the hearts of men and so he goes on to say because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of his hands he will tear them down and not build Ultimately, they're judged for their disregard for God's works and his deeds. And their wickedness is a result of that disregard. You see how both of those are going on. They don't care about the work of God. So they become wicked. And they just don't care. And so God judges them rightly. There's an indifference to the work and the deeds of the Lord that people have. And, and we see that all the time. I don't really care. I have no, no thought of what the Bible says or, you know, you guys have your rules, whatever. You do what you want to do and I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't really care. That's the heart of pride. And it's all around us. And we need to guard ourselves from it. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord. They willfully shut themselves off to God. We need to be careful that we aren't doing that in any part of our life. That we aren't
something other than me. And so I gave them over to the desires of their heart. I gave them over to destruction, a deprived, depraved mind. And God will do that. He will give people over to what they want. And so we need to guard our desires and have right desires. For David, he had been promised a continuation of his royal line. So he says, these guys are trying to deceive and work their their way into the throne. And it's just bringing chaos. And, And one of the promises that he was given was a promise of peace in his kingdom. And when these people are working, they're working contrary to peace. They are creating a world without peace. And that's what we see going on all around us. People desiring chaos. And God says, ultimately I will bring it to what it is. Something that destroys itself. And if we're doing that to ourselves, how much worse situation are we? fighting against God. Because he wants peace in your life. And we need to seek that in our our relationship with him. After having prayed this, David transitions here in verse 6 to say, Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. How do we know that God hears us? How does David come to this assumption that God's heard him because his prayers are in unison with the word of God that he knows being in agreement with having regarded the works and the declarations of Lord as of God as good and true he's confident that he's been heard you know Often when we pray, we pray, Lord, our will be done. Lord, I I need this to happen. Please, please make this happen for me. But if you go through scripture and you look at the prayers that that are happening in scripture, it's your will be done. It's, God, I want your desire. David, he understood that what he was praying was in unison with the desire of God. And so he understood it to be respected and heard by the Lord. And I challenge you, in the same way, as you pray, as you go through scripture, begin to look at these prayers and seek the same heart that the scripture has presented to you in prayer. David moves from this desperation to an attitude of gratitude, a celebration that God is in control, and he is bringing order to all of this. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to be anxious. I can let go because he's in control. 
I know he might allow me to go through some challenging things, but ultimately he's going to bring peace in my life. Verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I'm helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song I shall thank him. all the problems that he's looking at. It's not that he's gotten rid of everything. It's that he trusted God. And sometimes that's where we need to be. Could it be that the real battle is in trusting God for us? trust all our cares and concerns on him we're given that peace we're given that power to persevere that ability to endure but when we're not looking at him where do we go we live in chaos we struggle we, we grapple with everything we're fighting we're bickering we haven't let go because we want to control it and that's our natural instinct we want to control every situation and we can't always and that's okay David has this overflow of trust and he responds with this thankfulness and, and, and you'll see in the next couple chapters of Psalms it's moving in the same direction. Uh, Psalm 29 and 30 are both these celebrations of, of the glory and the work of God. Um, and, and that's where we need to be. That's where, as we've gone through the Psalms, where he's leading us to. Now, there are going to be some challenges later in the Psalms we're going to have to grapple with again. And there's this ebb and flow of, of struggle release of tension and, and 
there to make it feel so tense, so in, out of control. It's there for you to exercise the faith that he's given you. Verse 8, he says, the Lord is their strength. He is a saving defense to his anointed. Whose strength? Those who trust in the Lord. David transitions the psalm at this point. He's got this heart of trusting the Lord. He's got the heart that I want to have the heart of God. I want to desire what he's doing. And what does he move to in his prayer? It's not himself. It's everybody else. This is where you know you've gotten the heart of God. When he moves your prayer away from you to those around you. The Lord is their strength. He is a saving defense to his anointed. Who's the anointed here? It's David himself. He says, God has saved me. And I trust him. He's been anointed to be the king. To lead the people. And this is the heart of Christ. He was anointed to be the king. And lead the people. And we see the same heart happening in Romans 3. Where is Christ? Once he's ascended into the, into the right hand of the Father... same chapter. It's the Spirit who intercedes with groanings we can't even understand. And we see the same thing with the disciples, with Paul. He says in Colossians, we don't stop praying for you. That's the heart. Where is your heart for others? You know, we have these bumper stickers for a while that said others. People were like, what does that mean? That's the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. It means to be others oriented. That is his heart for this world. He laid down his life so that we could live. It's important to realize that entering the presence of God is taking on his heart. Now, what should we be praying for for each other? Verse 9 tells us. He goes on and starts praying. Save your people. Bless the inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. David knows that yeah, he's, he is supposed to be the anointed king. And, and this is his role, to, to lead the people, to shepherd them. Uh, Samuel 7 says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be the ruler and shepherd over my people. That's what God says to David. That's his purpose. And he turns it around and says, no, you're the shepherd. I, I can't do anything on my own. 
I want them to follow you.
Isaiah 40, verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a might, with his arms ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them to his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one should snatch them out of my hands. That's our desire.